You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Campbell. And today I'm talking with the happiness guy, Declan Edwards, who's a happiness coach and researcher. He was actually pointed out to me from Shell from the My Millennial Career podcast, who we've had on the show before. That is a fantastic episode if you haven't listened to it already. And I knew this was a conversation we had to have on the podcast, especially at a time when our finances are feeling a little bit tight. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be happy and some actual ways to improve our happiness and get better at celebrating all those small steps along the way. Because there's a lot more to life than just the numbers in our bank account or in our investment portfolio. So I really hope this conversation today encourages you to think about making sure the journey is enjoyable and not just focusing on the destination. Declan, welcome onto the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. It is an exciting conversation to get into and you're someone that calls themselves the happiness guy. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, look, that came up somewhat as a bit of a joke within our team at BU Happiness College because particularly over the last year, I think the interest and hunger in what it means to live a happy and fulfilling life has been pretty rapidly growing uh, off the back of the pandemic and people having more time to sort of self-reflect on what happiness looks like to them. And I found myself going to these events or speaking on podcasts and People will have somewhat heard of the work we're doing at BU Happiness College, but wouldn't remember my name. And so the amount of people who are coming up going, oh my God, you're that happiness guy. And I went, this is kind of funny. This is happening consistently. And so internally, 
with our team, we started jokingly referring to me as the happiness guy and then it kind of stuck. And so changed the name on, on social media to that happiness guy and uh, it kind of continued on. I guess it came up because I've made my my life's purpose, my life's work to be understanding the science of happiness. So not just looking at these big questions that you know human beings have been asking for thousands of years of what is happiness, what does it mean to live a happy life, but really trying to come at it from a lens of uh, the how of happiness, right? Helping people understand these tangible, practical skills that they can develop, which ideally lead to them feeling, you know, more in control of their mind and emotions, more happy, and and feeling like they're living a more fulfilling life as well. You set us up with a big premise here, so I think I'm going to come back to you with a big question. Yes. What does it mean to be happy? Mm. I mean, as I said, we've been arguing this for thousands of years as human beings. What is happiness? Uh, And I'll say first and foremost to everyone listening, I fundamentally do not believe that anyone has a one-size-fits-all answer to that question. I don't think anyone, including myself, who you know is a happiness researcher and spends his life looking at this stuff, has this answer that fits 8 billion people on the planet. What I think is really important is you get to define that for yourself and get really clear on what your blueprint for a happy and successful life is rather than just pursuing other people's definitions of happiness, be it your parents or societies. Now, if you ask me personally, what my definition of happiness is. It's evolved a little bit over the years, but over the last 10 or so years of really diving into this study and research, I've landed on for myself, a happy life is when I'm deeply content and fulfilled with who I am, where I am in this current chapter. So we're talking a lot about mindfulness there, presence, gratitude, contentment, connection. And I have things that are meaningful that I'm working towards. So there's this sense of uh, pursuit, achievement, growth, drive, goal setting. I find if I go too far one way or the other, I lose that equilibrium. Sometimes I joke, it's like I have an inner monk in my mind that likes the presence and being content now. And I have an inner CEO in my mind that's like, let's grow and achieve more and do more things. And both are valuable, but it's about getting them on the same team. So that's my personal definition is how do I be content and fulfilled with who I am right now, where I am? and have meaningful goals that I'm moving towards. I love it because it's so challenging to work it out for ourselves if we don't have at least a broad picture of what it could look like. And some of those things like having balancing the now versus balancing the future. I mean, we have these conversations a lot with our finances because there's always that trade-off between enjoying today and securing tomorrow with money and with happiness as well. What are some of the, if someone's trying to work out what happiness might mean for them, what are some of the the broad ideas or concepts they could have a look at to try and narrow down their own meaning? Mm, Yeah. So the the place I would say to start, now the field of research that I'm involved in is called positive psychology. A lot of people haven't heard about it, but it's basically the study of human flourishing. It's how do we go from feeling neutral in life to plus 10. It's a really nice complement to traditional psychology and psychotherapy. Um, And what the field of positive psychology has found over the last 20, 30 years is there are common themes in people's happiness. So as much as I go, hey, you need to create your own, uh, you know, your own definition, your own blueprint for happiness. There is a common recipe uh, that you can start with and then put your own little sprinkle on. Sometimes I describe it like, you know, 
all banana breads have some core ingredients. They've got flour, they've got banana, but then you might mix it up a little bit and put some, I don't know, walnuts or something in it. So as a starting point, I recommend looking at positive psychology's uh, framework for happiness. It's called PERMA, which is an acronym. And to quickly run through it, it means first and foremost, the P is, is positive affect, which is people tend to be happy when they do more things that make them feel good, which seems so stupidly obvious. I laugh every time I explain it to people, but I take this on tour as a speaking event around Australia. And the amount of times I say to people, how often do you under-prioritize doing things that make you feel good in life? And every hand goes up in the room. And so I think on one side, the simplicity of like, no duh, we're happier when we do things that make us feel happy. But I think we forget to prioritize it. We get distracted by the busyness and demands of life. So that's a starting point. Get really clear on what does lift you up and what does bring joy and happiness to your life and do more of it, right? Then our second one is the E, which is engagement and flow. I always teach this to people like engagement and flow is, if you want a masterclass in it, go listen to Lose Yourself by Eminem. That whole rap is about being in the flow state. It's this psychological phenomenon that researchers found that when you're doing something that challenges you and it just commands you to be in the moment. So you lose a sense of self, you lose a sense of time. Some people will get this from sports. Some people will get it from a creative pursuit or hobby. Like for me, playing music is something I really get into flow with. But what I found is the more often you find something where you can really immerse yourself in it, where you're really present with it, you tend to actually rate your life as a whole as happier and more fulfilling. So finding what that is for you and pursuing it is really valuable. Our third one is R, which stands for relationships. The longest running study on happiness ever has concluded that the biggest contributor to how happy we're going to feel is the quality and depth of our closest relationships. And the reason I harp on about this one so much when I teach the PERMA model is we're living in a weird time at the moment where we're the most connected we've ever been as a species because of technology. But more people than ever are saying that they're lonely. Right, So we've got this massive amount of connection in bunny years, like surface level connection, but we're lacking depth in our relationships. We're lacking vulnerability right, and emotional courageousness and, and that real depth of connection. And so focusing on nurturing those is such a fundamental part of living a fulfilling life. And I think we've all realized the value and importance of that over the last few years in particular. Uh, if we go to the fourth one, which is M, this is meaning and purpose. Now, this doesn't mean you need to answer the big question, what's the meaning of my life? I mean, if you do, hats off to you. Uh, I'm still exploring that question for myself. Uh, and I think it changes as we grow and evolve as people. But it's it's more about do you find the moments of meaning in what you do day to day? So can you imbue a sense of meaning into your work? Can you see a sense of purpose behind, I mean, even something as simple as housework? People think I'm crazy. I love doing the dishes. Right, we don't have a dishwasher in our house. I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah, I know. People go, what is wrong with you? And, and my wife loves it. She's, she's lucked out. She's like, yes, Declan does all the dishes. <laughs> but it's because for me, when I do the dishes, it's one of the few times I'm really, really like mindful and present. Mm -hmm. I stop everything. I'm just like there with it. And sometimes it's frustrating for my wife because it takes me like 45 minutes to do dishes that probably only need to take seven minutes <laughs> because I'm just like, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Right, but it doesn't have to be these crazy big answers of what our meaning in life is. It's like, do you find ways to cultivate meaning in the day-to-day? -day? And then uh, the last one in the original model, and then I'll give you guys the, the bonus sixth that's getting added now in the research, 
the secret sixth part of happiness. So that normally it would end on this fifth one, which is achievement and accomplishment. So are we setting goals for ourselves? Are we doing things that we uh, feel proud of? Are we challenging ourselves? A lot of people can get this through goal setting and taking strategic action with their finances. Um, it's a really nice way to sort of like track that. Uh, so make sure you are setting goals. Make sure you're pursuing things that matter to you. Make sure you're challenging yourself. And then the last one, which is not formally part of the PERMA model yet, but I'm betting my leg that it's going to be, um, is, is health. I've added a H to the end of it. So they're going, hey, our, our link between our mind and our body is so strong. And our physical health has an impact on our mental and emotional health and vice versa. And so it's wrong for us to look at this recipe for a happy life and completely disregard looking after our physical well-being. And again, we don't need to overcomplicate that. Start with the basics. Do I move my body in a way that I enjoy for 30 minutes each day? Uh, do I get good quality sleep? Do I try to stay hydrated? Do I try to eat a good mix of fruit and vegetables? Like, We don't need to overcomplicate any of these six steps. What's important is we use that as a base plate. We go, okay, there's these six commonalities to a happy life that science has found. And now I as an individual get to go through and answer those questions of, okay, well, what does bring me joy? That's going to go in my positive affect one. What are the things that I do that help me be present and engaged and lose sense of time? That's my engagement and flow strategy. Who are my main people? That's my relationships I want to nurture. So as a starting point, it's such a valuable tool. And then you get to build on top of that foundation. It's really interesting because you do, you've outlaid about six different things. And I presume it's difficult for most people to focus on all six at once. And yes. do you see any times where people go wrong when they just focus on like, like say relationships at the exclusion of everything else or just on achievements and hitting that goal that they really want to achieve and then forgetting about the rest of the elements. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And the reason being these six elements are sort of shaped around an idea, um, again, from positive psychology, that there's actually two fundamentally different types of happiness we can experience. So one is hedonic happiness, which is more your dopamine, you know, joy, elation, excitement, accomplishment, achievement. Um, and there, you're going to get that more from that achievement and accomplishment part of the PERMA model, right? And from the positive affect at the start, like what brings us joy in life. Now, if you just do the hedonic happiness route in life, you will probably feel successful, you will feel joyous, but you will feel empty to some degree. Like there's something missing. It's like, I don't get it, man. I'm ticking all the boxes of what I was meant to do in life. I've got the good job. I've got the good, you know, I'm doing all this good stuff. I'm saving the money. I'm traveling, but I'm lacking a sense of meaning and purpose in life. I'm lacking a sense of contribution. So then we need to look at the other side, which is called eudaimonic happiness. Uh, and this is more for those familiar with ancient Greek philosophy, where Stoicism comes from. Aristotle was a big fan of this, which goes, hey, the secret to a happy life is, uh, to live a meaningful life. Now, that's where we're going to get more the meaning and purpose, your depth of relationships, right? Your engagement and flow in the PERMA model. But if you only do that and you don't have these moments of joy and excitement or pride or accomplishment, sure, you live a meaningful life, but God, it's a dry one. Like I almost call it like, you know, the stereotypical UD lecturer life. Right? It's like we need to have moments where we top up our life with joy and excitement and, you know, and pleasure. So, you're right. It's hard to do all six at the same time. And I wouldn't recommend going, okay, I need to address all of them straight away. Personally, I go start with simples, go through the six parts of PERMA and give yourself a little score out of five for each currently. If you go, if I was to pause life and look at my last three months, 
How well did I prioritize things that make me feel good? How are my quality of relationships? Choose a couple that are doing really well and look at why they're doing well and make sure you honor yourself and celebrate that because they're doing well because you've done something intentionally. It's not accidental. And then choose one or two that you might go, you know what, for the next three months, I'm just going to really focus on you know, working on my health or I'm really going to focus on setting some goals and pursuing them for achievement and accomplishment, whichever ones you end up deciding to go for. But you're spot on in saying if we overvalue some of them and then don't look at the others, it will eventually bite us in the butt. Yeah. I like thinking about it as a scorecard because that might give us a more easy approach to it rather than thinking about how can I solve all six areas at once and how can I just, because a lot of us, we just, we say, oh, I just want to be happy. And then that looks very broad and it's hard to figure out how to actually break that down. So I think the six step sort of model would be really good and using a scorecard approach there. Are there any other, so let's say someone scored quite low on one of these aspects and they want to make some changes. Are there any strategies you would suggest to maybe if you want to pick a particular one, for example, that we could start working on? Mm. Uh, What I might share first before choosing a particular one is a strategy that's relevant to all of them. So that means no matter as if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, engagement and flow, I want to get better at or meaning and purpose, I want to get better at what I'm about to share will be relevant regardless of which one you choose to focus on. So it's this framework that my team and I have been using for the last seven or so years at BU Happiness College uh, called the five steps to meaningful change. Uh, It's another acronym because we love acronyms in research. Um, But it's basically we noticed there were these five core steps people need to go through to make changes actually stick and last. Uh, And a lot of the time, if we don't do these five well, we'll end up in a space of either the inspired procrastinator, which is the person who's like, I've got all the ideas and I know what I need to work on but I haven't done anything with it yet. We just keep pushing it down the line. Or the yo-yo changer, who's the person who goes, I'm super motivated, let's run, let's do it. And they go really hard for like three weeks and then they fall off the bandwagon. And then they try a new strategy and they just go back and forth. So the way to prevent falling into either of those traps is to follow this framework called the five steps from evil change. Uh, The first step is vision. So this means getting really, really clear on what change in that area looks like to you. So you might ask yourself, hey, meaning and purpose, I scored myself a two at the moment. What might it look like to move it to a three in the next three months? I'm not looking to take it from a two to a five, right? And you really want to flesh out that vision for you defining what moving up one step looks like. And you want to get really clear on why that's important to you. We may have come across Simon Sinek's work in Start With Why, right? This whole idea of like, it's our why and our reasons that motivate us to make change, not just the logic. Like logically, I think on a logical level, a lot of people know roughly what to do with their health. They know roughly what to do with their finances. They know roughly what to... But we don't do it just because we logically know it's the right move, right? We need to connect to the why and the reasons. So step one, get super clear on what positive change looks like for you and why it's important that you pursue it. Step two is knowledge acquisition. This means don't reinvent the wheel, right? There's great resources out there about all this stuff that you can go learn from, be it podcasts, books, professionals, getting specialists in your corner. You know, it's why you guys listen to this show, I imagine, is for the knowledge acquisition part and adding these skill sets and tools to your uh, resource kit that you can use with your finances and and now with your happiness journey uh, from this episode. So go learn. And then step three is action or implementation. Now, I'll acknowledge that for a lot of people, the biggest gap is between those two stages because the knowledge acquisition part feels good 
we do get a little dopamine rush and sense of accomplishment of like, I'm learning, I'm getting better at this. But if you don't do anything with it, it kind of doesn't matter. And I, I cannot stand the saying that uh, knowledge is power. I think it's very misleading. I, I prefer to tell people knowledge is potential power. You've increased your potential for change, but until you do something with it, doesn't matter. And a lot of people get stuck in the knowledge procrastination stage of like, I just need to know a little bit more. And my argument is like, you probably know close to enough to take the first step. You don't need to know enough to do the whole journey. You need to know enough to do the first move. So find the first two or three small steps that aren't overwhelming, implement. Momentum is going to follow. Don't wait until you think you feel confident enough. That's another myth. People go, when I'm confident enough, I'll take action. All the research shows it's the other way around. It's by doing scary actions that challenge us that we build our confidence, right? So get into the action phase. Then phase four or step four is reflection. And this is about keeping a really strong connection to ourselves and doing introspection to go, does this goal even still align with me or matter to me? I set goals for myself, you know, five years ago that are now irrelevant. And if I was to just hold myself to pursuing them, they're no longer important, right? So we reflect and go, does the goal still matter? Are the actions I'm taking working, right? Am I actually progressing here? Because if I'm just doing the same thing, expecting a different result, right? Colloquially, that's referred to as the definition of insanity, right? So I might need to change tack. Um, and is the knowledge that I have still the right knowledge? You know, in a lot of industries, the world is changing quite quickly. What was the right strategy, you know, with uh, finances, you know, 10, 20 years ago has probably shifted a little bit now, right? And same with our own growth and development. So checking in to go, do I have up-to-date knowledge, which is again, part of why working with a, a specialist or a professional really helps with that. But do I have access to the right knowledge? That's our reflection. And then our last is P, which is either pivot or persevere based on what comes up from the reflection. So you might go, oh, this isn't working. I'm not moving in the direction I wanted to. Okay, we need to make a micro adjustment then. So I'll pivot, not an overcorrect. Most people go, this isn't working. I need to massively overcorrect and uphaul my life. Say we're working on the health one. You know, this didn't work. Okay, I need to suddenly start exercising five days a week. It's like you weren't exercising one day a week to start with. Like maybe let's just start with that, right? And then persevere is uh, this is working. But I just need to remind myself to be patient with it and to keep going. Right? I'm I'm yet to meet someone whose journey of making positive changes in their life, either habitually, financially, psychologically, emotionally. I'm yet to meet someone whose positive change journey followed the exact path they thought it would. Right? Life throws curveballs, it throws hurdles, it's gonna challenge and test you. There's gonna be times when you wanna give up. So that perseverance part of going, hey, this is gonna take time, but it's worth pursuing. My favorite saying with this is, um, if you've spent 20 years walking into the forest, don't expect to walk out in 20 days. So if you've built habits over years when it comes to either your happiness or finances or whatever it may be, don't put the pressure on yourself to change that overnight, right? Know that that could take a few months or even you know a few years of really dedicated work, but remind yourself that it's really worth the effort. So yeah, regardless of which part you choose of PERMA, Mm. use those five steps to address it as you move forward. Yeah, I think that's quite hard, that messy middle that where it could you could be working on something for a year or two before you start to see enough changes that you go, oh, I've actually changed the way I do something or I've changed my health in a more positive direction and we can sort of get a bit demotivated along the way, can't we? 
Massively so, massively so. And again, it comes back to staying connected to the meaning and purpose behind what you're doing. It's why the very first step in that change is not only clarity of vision for what you want to change, but why you want to change it. Um, Another beautiful quote or saying that I love in this space is uh, challenge without meaning is suffering. Challenge with meaning is growth. So we can acknowledge that no matter what we're about to do, it's going to be challenging. Like I acknowledge that changing your mind, changing your emotions, managing them better, living a happy life, managing your money more effectively, right? These are all challenging. But if we see the meaning and purpose in that challenge, then we grow as people. Ideally, we grow towards becoming the best version of ourselves. If we disconnect from the meaning and purpose, it just feels like we're going through a sucky time, right? It, it makes it really unenjoyable and you're more likely to give up on it. Yeah. And I know many of the listeners of the show, myself included, are probably setting quite big goals, whether it's with our career, whether it's with our relationships, our finances, and maybe the time we achieve those goals is 5, 10, 20 years in the future. And there's a lot of small steps we have to do along the way. And I'd love to hear your thoughts because I often think that we get that trap where we start thinking about that destination and we can't be happy until we reach the destination. But we stop, we don't remember that we've made all these small progress steps along the way. Yeah, it's funny that you touch on that because it's such a common phenomenon that there's actually a word for it in the happiness research. It's called the hedonic treadmill uh, or I'll be happy when mm. dot, 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 insert whatever you want afterwards, right? And we've all done it, by the way. Yeah. I've been studying happiness for 10 years. I still find myself on that damn treadmill sometimes. I go, oh, here again? I'll be happy when, you yeah. know, at, at the moment, right? I'm, I'm 10 weeks away from submitting my master's thesis on positive psychology. Uh, and I call myself literally the other day going, I'll be happy when I finish this thesis. <laughs> when I get through it, I went, oh, the irony, yeah. right? So we all get on it every so often. We just need to recognize when we're on it and go, well, hang on. I can still pursue that because it's meaningful to me. But how do I cultivate happiness right here and right now? Because we don't know what's going to happen in future. And while we can set the world's best intentions and plans and do everything in our power to move towards it, a lot of it's out of our control, right? And so your best, best, best practice for this, uh, and again, sometimes it's offensive how, well, I find it a little offensive how simple some of the suggestions are that come out of this research. You go, really? That, that simple and it works? So one of the best practices that we've found so far in positive psychology uh, to help nurture that sense of gra- uh, of happiness now is a gratitude practice. And that can be something as simple as writing down three things you're grateful for that day and why you're grateful for them. Now, that's the kicker. If you treat this like a tick box thing, if you're like, oh, that happiness guy on that podcast said I should practice gratitude more often. Okay, I'm, I'm grateful for my breakfast today. I'm grateful I spent time with my dogs. It's like whoop-de-doo, right? Like it's not going to make a difference to your brain. But if you go, why was I grateful for that? Right? What impact did it make on my day? Okay, well, I'm really grateful for my breakfast because it was a chance to just disconnect. I actually cooked myself a really nourishing meal. It was an act of self-care for me. It was damn delicious as well, right? I'm grateful for the time I spent with my dogs because they got me outside and they got me walking and I find that I'm really, you know, I get a lot of love and serotonin release when I'm with my dogs. They're, they're really amazing, right? I call it marinating, in like gratitude juices, which some people are going to have a weird mental image of that. Or like you could call it simmering in the the good emotions. But it's when we go, this is why I'm grateful for it, that our brain actually releases those feel-good hormones, those feel-good neurochemicals. And uh, 
yeah, it really, really helps bring us back to, I can still pursue those meaningful goals, whether they be goals that I might achieve a year from now, five years, 10 or 20, but I can also recognize how much good there is in my life right now. Mm. And maybe that's, if you find yourself saying the, I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot scenario, maybe it's a good reminder to actually try doing this gratitude practice and coming back to that and going, okay, well, what am I happy for right now? And how am I finding meaning in that goal right now? Mm. Exactly. Spot on. You're nailing it. <laughs> I've, I've been trying to do the happiness, um, the gratitude reflection once a week, but I haven't cool. been articulating why. I've just been writing the list. So maybe- Let's I'll add the why in. Let's marinate in the gratitude. I, I, right? I need to change that. I need to add that to my strategy. Um, and wh- one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was making trade-offs because there's a lot of things that feel good right now And they could give us an instant happiness boost, like you've talked about. But if we do a lot of it over time, let's say I love Snitz chips. I'm super happy when I'm eating them. But if I eat them every meal, long term, it probably won't end as well for me. And But then there's a lot of things like maybe I'm saving and investing or adding some extra money to my super that might require a bit more rearranging right now. I might not be able to go to that concert that I really want to go to. But long-term, they'll have positive impacts. How do you balance all these complicated trade-offs? Yeah. And on a side note, I'm a little jealous now. I read a thing the other day that said Schnitz chips are the best chips in Australia and I'm yet to try them. I, so, I this well, is yeah, this I've, 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 no, there's none where I am. So, I must, I must make a trip common. specifically for uh, Schnitz chips, adding that to my what brings positive affect and joy to my life and accomplishment. I've now got a goal to go try them. Um, how do we, how do we deal with the trade-offs in life? It's, it's a good question because you're right. Sometimes a lot of the things that are best for us in the long term aren't all that enjoyable in the short term, right? And so there's two ways you can go about this. There's one tool from a field called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is another one of the tools that my team and I use at, at the happiness college. Um, if for those who've read the happiness trap by Dr. Russ Harris, highly recommend it. I think we'll put a link in the show notes to it. Fantastic book. Um, But it talks about this idea of thinking of choice points and looking three consequences down the road, right? So let's go the schnitz chips, consequence one, yummy, 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 super delicious, right? If I have a lot of them though, consequence two, I'm probably going to feel a little lethargic later in the day, a bit more tired, right? Consequence three is maybe that then, you know, affects the quality of sleep I'm going to get that night. I might not make as good decisions and we can start like magnifying it out. What we'll often find is like if the first couple of steps are really enjoyable, the next few are going to be painful. And the first couple are difficult, the next few are going to be pleasurable. So that's one way we can look at it is with that choice point tool. Another way we can use, which is uh, one that I personally use a little more, is to stay really connected to the best version of us. Now, we all have that idea in our mind of like, what does it mean to be the best version of me? It's literally why we called our happiness college BU Happiness College, right? It's like, being the best version of you is the greatest gift you can give to yourself, the loved one, your loved ones, and the world. Um, so, what I mean by staying connected to the best version of you is: Do you know your values? Like, do you know what matters most to you in life? Uh, for those who know Brene Brown's work, and again, if you don't know it, I highly recommend checking her out. The Call to Courage on Netflix, or her talks on the power of vulnerability from TED Talks. Again, we'll link both of those. Uh, Phenomenal resources, but Brene is pretty ruthless with this. She goes, everyone should be able to tell their two core values. Two, you get two. What are the two things that matter most to me? So for me, it's impact and experience. 
those are the frameworks through which I make all my decisions in life. What is the impact this is going to have on me and others? And what's the experience I'm going to get out of it, right? Other people I know might have security or freedom or connection, right? Or achievement, like choose two words that you're like, these are my two. Sometimes I'm a bit nicer than Brene. I'm happy to go on record saying that. Love your work, Brene. But I give people up to five in case they can't narrow it down to two. So you can have five. Uh, so know your values and know your character strengths. Now, there's a free test you can take. This is the best part about positive psychology. A lot of the tools are open source. If you go to VIA character strengths, which again, we'll link, there is a test you can take. It takes about 20, 25 minutes and it will spit out, hey, these are your five qualities that you do exceptionally well. And when you're connected to them, you will perform better, you will make better decisions, and uh, you will make better choices around what aligns with your best self. So for me, my greatest character strength is hope. Being able to see a positive outcome at the end of a difficult time, like nurturing that and staying connected to that is my best strength. Social intelligence is one of my top five. Humor is one of my top five, right? And so you can kind of find these are the characteristics that the best version of me embodies. And now if I ask myself, how does the Declan that has those five characteristics, what decisions does he make today? Or how does he manage his money? Or how does he approach his health? It becomes very clear what moves we should make. And so I highly recommend everyone goes and does their character strengths test and knows their top five things that make them exceptionally them. Uh, and then make your decisions through that framework. And that could be an interesting tool if you're struggling with maybe going back to your PERMA framework and working out what changes you want to make there. If you start with the envisioning your best self and what you want that person to be, maybe you can work backwards from that point. Does that does that help? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can do a lot of these tools kind of in any order, right? We've mentioned a lot of tools so far. The idea of character strengths test, five steps to meaningful change, PERMA model for happiness, different types of happiness. I always say to people, especially on podcasts like this, don't try to master all of this at once. Like choose one or two things that have resonated with you from this you know, conversation that we're having and go, wow, that really hit home. Like that made sense to me. I needed to hear that today. I needed to learn it. And whatever it was, it resonated with you for a reason. So go start with that point, right? You don't need to nail it all straight away. Just choose whatever your big moment was, whether it was you know, certain parts of the five steps people change that I want to get better at, whether there was certain parts of that recipe for happiness, whether it's actually, hey, I do a lot more of that hedonic dopamine happiness and not enough of that meaning and purpose eudaimonic happiness. Or maybe your key takeaway was that you also want to fly somewhere to try schnitz chips, right? Like whatever your moment was, do something with it. Yeah. A lot of this comes down to better understanding ourselves and how we work, our values, our characteristics, if we've been a bit hesitant to do that work and figure out who we are before, maybe because things haven't been going as well as we'd like in our life, what suggestions would you have there? Work with a professional if, if you can, if you've got access to it. Now, whether that be counsellor, therapist, psychologist, um, you know, coach with a positive psychology background lens like what we have at the, at the Happiness College. Um, and the reason I say that is... A lot of this work, you're right, requires a lot of introspection. It requires us getting comfortable with looking inwards, which can be pretty daunting, right? Getting to know ourselves, to unpack and understand our mind and to have the courage to sit with big emotions. That's something that a lot of people haven't really done a lot of in their life. And so it can be really challenging. Sometimes I use the analogy of it's like unpacking the spare room of your mind. We all have a spare room in our mind where we tuck stuff that we weren't ready to handle at the time or we didn't know how to handle well. 
and we put it in a box and we bury it and we hope it goes away. But it doesn't. It just builds up and eventually we get this sort of mental and emotional weight that we're dragging around and it impacts our happiness, it impacts our decisions, it impacts our behaviors. But if you just open the spare room of the mind and go in willy-nilly and start trying to lift baby grand pianos on your own, right, you're going to hurt yourself. And so that's why I say if, if you do have access or the ability to reach out to and get support and help from someone in your corner who can go, hey, this is what we specialize in. We can help you navigate this and make sense of it. We can help you unpack those boxes. We can help you make sense of your mind and emotions so that you don't need to be uh, overwhelmed by them and scared of them, but you can feel a bit more confident and competent with your mind and emotions. That is the most advantageous thing you can do. If you're in a position where you uh, don't have access to that or you're not ready to take that leap and take a step of you know, reaching out and working with someone um, more intensely or intentionally, I would say start by building up your introspective practices. So start by taking little moments in your week to look inwards, to ask how you're going for yourself. We use something uh, with our team and with our members at the college called a two-word emotional check-in, which is if I was to describe how I'm feeling today in two words only, what two words would I use? That starts building our emotional literacy and helps build out our emotional awareness. Other good introspective practices, uh, time alone without distractions, uh, meditation and mindfulness, journaling. These are all ways that we can start looking inward in a world and environment where our attention is increasingly becoming an economy. There's so many things that compete for you to not look inward at how you're feeling and how you're going. They want your attention on social media platforms, on TV stations, right? It's like everywhere is trying to get our attention to look outwards and externally for our answers when realistically the best answers you're ever going to get when you're working on living a happy, more fulfilling life are going to be the ones that come from within you. So we've got to start building up that skill of checking in with ourselves and practicing introspection. It's an interesting one because we can quite easily go through an entire day without actually thinking about ourselves. We, we can listen to a podcast on the train to work. We can talk to people. We can have our music playing all day. We can turn on a TV show when we get home and we can actually avoid ever thinking about ourselves and what makes us happy, which is a trap, isn't it? Yeah. You mentioned we can go through a day. I've met people who go through weeks, months, and years doing that. Like, I, I kid you not. There's people I've spoken to. I'm like, hey, when was the last time you checked in with what added value to your life and made you feel happy? When was the last time you felt connected to yourself? When was the last time you felt really like you, right? And, and when you were prioritizing yourself and your happiness, and I'll be like, man, I couldn't tell you. Like five years ago, 10 years ago, right? I think it's very common for us to lose touch with ourselves because, as I said, there's all this other stuff that competes for our attention. We all have, in some way, shape, or form, someone, and unless we've done the work to define our own blueprint for happiness, we're all chasing someone else's, be it we're trying to make our parents happy, we're trying to make our boss happy, we're trying to make our partner happy, we're trying to follow society's checklist, which we all know it's like, go to school and do well, either go to uni or go into the workforce, build your way up, climb the career ladder, save money, travel once a year if you're lucky, you know, do all this stuff. And then one day you'll reach the magic promised land of happiness, retirement, right? Like, and, and I think a lot of us are now starting to question that and going, well, hey, maybe that's not the right recipe for me. Maybe that's not the right blueprint for me to live a happy life. But until we do that introspective work to define what our blueprint is, our brain needs something to pursue. So until it's we're going, hey, I've done the real deep work for me to define what my path to a happy life is and what matters to me. Until we do that, we're just going to chase someone else's. And it means we're essentially gambling with our happiness. 
So yeah, the best thing you can do is is spend a bit of time checking with yourself. Invest into learning these skills. It shocks me how underdeveloped. Um, previously, they were called soft skills. We're now calling them human skills because they're skills that make us uniquely human. You know, there's a crisis in uh, industries at the moment where workplaces are going, we need employees with these soft skills like emotional intelligence and compassion and resilience and grit and, you know, habit building and behavior change. But no one knows how to do them. It's like, yeah, we didn't learn this at school and we haven't been exposed to it in our workplace. And unless you were one of the lucky buggers who had a very emotionally intelligent parents in your household growing up, you probably didn't learn it at home either. And so these skills, you know, have been found to be so correlated with success, with good relationships, with happiness and with a fulfilling life. But I think there was a Harvard study that showed that 90% of where people invest in their education and development, 90% of their time and resources for growing as a person go into technical skills to make them a better employee and 10% go into these soft skills or human skills that make them happier people. That is a fundamentally broken system. We need to change the way we do that. So, I mean, this is literally why I started Happiness College, right? I was like, I wonder if what would happen if there was a space where people could go and learn those skills and invest into mastering the skills associated with happiness. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful for how well it's been received. We've now got members and graduates in six countries and I'm very proud to say we're making a ripple effect out there that I hope is moving us towards that vision of growing global happiness. I love that. And I like how you refer to it as an investment because it's not a one-off thing. You can't just spend one hour learning about some of these tools and resources and behaviours and solve everything. It's a continuous process. And is there ever an end point or is it just something you work on your whole life? Yeah, I've questioned this to myself because I've been on this journey for my own growth and development and learning for like 10 years and professionally doing it now for seven um, I hope there's not an end point. I think sometimes people are in a rush to get to the end point of life. And I'm like, guys, all that's waiting at the end is death. Like, <laughs> I don't really want to race towards that. I I hope I continue to learn and grow and develop, right? Like the there's a saying in this sort of line of work of what got you here won't necessarily get you there. The skills and tools and strategies that I need to cultivate now as a leader of a team that's, you know, running this social enterprise are fundamentally different than the skills and tools and strategies I needed five or six years ago, right? As someone who's now married and cultivating that relationship, right? I'm sure when I cross that chapter into if, if my partner and I do have kids, that's going to be a whole different set of skills and tools and strategies that we need. And so I think, I hope life continues and I do believe this happens. Life continues to give us opportunities to grow and to learn and to develop. And so I think the more we can keep learning these skills that are applicable to any area of our life, right? Because those technical skills are very specific to a career path normally. Whereas these human skills, these soft skills, they're relevant to any career you take. They're relevant to areas outside of your professional life. And they really are the ones that you can use for the, you know, for the rest of your time here um, and for the rest of the life that you have ahead of you. So yeah, I do believe it's uh, something to fall in love with as a process, not an end point, right? not, a, not a destination. I'd have similar thoughts there and I do like the idea of investing in my own life and happiness because there's a lot I do outside of work that I want to learn and grow in. And we've talked about a lot of resources in today's episode, but were there any other resources that you think people should definitely check out if this topic interests them? Uh, yeah, actually, I'll recommend for the introspection part to help them get an understanding of their own happiness and to measure it a bit more effectively. So my team and I, a few years ago, built something called the Happiness Scorecard. If you go to happinessscorecard.com.au, 
It's a free test. People can take. It takes about seven minutes. It's just an introspective tool. It's not a diagnosis tool or, or diagnostic tool. It's just a chance to help you explore some of these questions we spoke about in today's episode. And it'll give you uh, a PDF at the end, a report that goes, hey, this is your score for your eudaimonic happiness, the meaning and purpose and contentment versus your score for hedonic happiness. It will identify your top happiness strengths and go, these are three things you're doing really well at the moment for your happiness. Keep doing them. And it'll show you your three happiness growth areas. So go, hey, these are your three lowest scorers. We recommend you focus on working on them. Um, Now, I will say, and this is going to be a a fun challenge for listeners of this episode. We give away 250 of those per month for free. And then they're gone for the month and you've got to wait for the next month. So if you're listening to this, I would recommend going like immediately. Um, And as part of our commitment to be a social enterprise that exists for good and for impact on a global scale, we also donate a meal to someone in need for every one of those happiness scorecards that's completed. I'm very proud to say that the other day we ticked over 5,000 meals donated in the last year and a half. Um, so yeah, if you want, if this has resonated with you and you want to learn more about your happiness and you want to measure it and track it and just build that depth of understanding um, and get more of a personalized recommendation on what to step forward with, then happiness scorecard is a great place to start. And then if you do want to take those extra steps to get a professional in your corner, obviously feel free to reach out to myself and the team at BU Happiness College about working with one of our happiness coaches. That sounds like an awesome resource, Declan, and I hope people do get onto that. And the question I like to leave all guests with is if you have to leave people with one thing to take away from this episode, what would that be? Oh, can I do two? I'm tossing up between two. I want to do two. Let's go two. I'm going to break the rules here. So first and foremost, uh, call message, your happiness matters. I think it matters a lot more than people realize, right? Your happiness spreads a ripple effect that impacts your loved ones, your workplace, your community. I mean so wholeheartedly, I mean it so much when I say that bringing the happiest version of yourself and best version of yourself to the world is the greatest legacy you can leave. And then the second thing I would leave you with is happiness is a skill. You can work on it, you can build it, you can develop it, you can invest in it. And I highly recommend that people do. Wonderful, Declan. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show and we'll have links to all of the resources you mentioned in this conversation along with your website in the show notes for listeners. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz 
that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.